I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Joe Hay, CEO and founder of FDS and onboarding officers, author of six best-selling business books and winner of a number of industry awards. Joe is also a mentor and a speaker. Watch this interview as we discuss the drive, determination, and skills necessary to sit on company boards and start your own business. Joe, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. And we were meant to do this in person, but there you are. I'd love to say, are you up in sunny Yorkshire? Well, I'm up in beautiful God's own country, but it's not sunny. <laughs> sunny. Well, it's, it's definitely not sunny down here in London. <laughs> so, you know. Exactly. Don't even get rid of our 12 inches of snow. <laughs> oh, no. Look, Joe, there are so many things I want to touch on today with you. You're a very successful businesswoman. You've won uh, a number of awards. Um, but what I'd like to talk about, first of all, is a little bit more about delving into your background where it all started. Um, can you tell me a bit about your journey into the entrepreneurial world? Uh, well, I originally trained as a lawyer and didn't find it boring enough. <laughs> so I went on to train as an accountant. <laughs> I usually say at this stage, at least I'm not an estate agent, so I'm not the most hated. <laughs> so you haven't got the three in a row. <laughs> um, I, you know, to be honest, I just hated working in the profession. I wanted to work in industry. I came come from a background of um, business owners, both my mother and father owned businesses. Um, and um, so I went into the city uh, to work as company secretary stroke CFO. I, I, you know, not immediately after I qualified, but yeah. Yeah. that was my first serious job um, for a company that did buy build. Uh, they bought businesses, um, amalgamated them together and then sold them on. And that's where I got my taste for corporate finance, for buying and selling businesses. And so um, I did that for a number of years. And then I have got four children and it's very difficult to work in the city with four children. Uh, I'm sure it's challenging now, but let me tell you, in the 80s and 90s, it was almost impossible to be a mum and have a career. I can imagine as well, I mean, you're in the city, you're in a man's world, and certainly back then, um, to be a successful career woman, did you have a lot of challenges around that? Oh, lots. I mean, it really was the days where you had to leave your jacket on the back of the chair, you know, in case you wanted to uh, go home early. And there was no question of asking, you know, I need to go and pick my children up from nursery, or I just absolutely would never have been entertained. It's much easier now, I think, but it's still, I don't think it's, you know, well, one of the books I wrote was called Tales of the Glass Ceiling. And I remember my mum saying to me when I was a little girl, she'd taken over my granddad's sheet metal engineering business that, uh, and she'd been a secretary before and he died. And so she took it over. So that was very challenging, you know, in a Yorkshire village. Yeah. And um, she said, oh, it'd be a lot different when, you, when you're older, darling. It'd be a lot, lot easier. <clears throat> uh, it is different. It probably is a bit easier, but it's it's still nowhere near, um, you know, an equal world. Um, anyway, I didn't get hung up on that. So I decided I'll, I could do this for myself. Um, and because the business I worked in in the city was based around buying and selling other businesses, I met lots of entrepreneurs on the way. And, and I understood that world because I'd come from it. So I thought, right, what I will do is I will set up this business 
that will help broker deals, um, but for SMEs, owner managers, entrepreneurs who I can relate to, who don't want to go to the big boys, who don't want to be frightened either by their um, antics. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I call it willy waggling. Oh, I um, love it. <laughs> say and, it, please. And, uh, and, and, and huge fees and, and basically scaring the client away. I want it to be a much more user friendly approach. And um, uh, so I set, set up the, uh, the business and started doing this, and it's grown from there. And, and obviously, I thought you'd have more time. You have no more time running your own business, as you know, but you have more flexibility. Less time, probably. <laughs> Less time, but you can work, you know, if I wanted to go and do something with the children, I could. So I got a full-time nanny, and, um, and that's how the business started. Did you find any massive challenges when you, let, when you made that leap of going from corporate life to running your own business. I mean, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people out there now. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're talking at the moment, we're in lockdown three, a global pandemic out there. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that have sat for the last certainly six months thinking, do I want to continue in my corporate job? Um, mm. And wouldn't it be fantastic and fabulous to set up my own business? Uh, what were your challenges around that? Well, funnily enough, that's, I wrote a book in the first lockdown called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Starting a Business because I absolutely recognised that was happening. Uh, and then my own daughter lost her job. My niece lost her job. Uh, and so, you know, and, and they've started their own businesses. So um, I, I would say the biggest shock was month one when the paycheck didn't land in my bank account. And I'd given up my very nice, you know, BMW 7 Series or whatever it was at the time. And suddenly... It, you know, you you only eat what you kill. And of course it takes time, but like most businesses when you start, you know, it only needs one or two good jobs and then you get a roller coaster effect. And I was very lucky that, you know, a friend said, oh, I'd like you to do this for me. I'm looking for a company, can you help? And almost doing me a favor, and of course, then he was really happy. And then we went on to do other things. And then he told people about it. it was, this is long before social media. Um, so I, I did used to, well, not blog, because it wasn't blog, but I used to write uh, articles all the time for the local magazine. I went, went on radio and, um, and things like that, just to get a presence. And as my business life has gone on, of course, I blog, I vlog, you know, I, I wrote for... Huffington Post. I, I'm a constant writer, which I love, um, and that's all about getting the social media presence. And then I speak at about 120 odd events a year, so that is also part of my presence, and that helps get other work. Do, do you think that's really helped you, um, uh, really, in terms of the success of your business and just let, let your business is FDS? Tell me a little bit more about FDS and. Uh, well, I've got a couple of businesses actually, but FDS was my main business, and um, that is a corporate finance company. So we help people buy and sell businesses, which is where it all originally started. And we also help uh, raise the finance, and we deal with shareholder disputes. And we sit on boards as a non-exec. I sit on seven different boards as a non-exec. Uh, but in summer of this year, I transferred 90% of my business to my staff in what's called an employee ownership trust. Uh, not because I want to retire, but um, well, it's the last thing I want to do, except as Marlene Adichie said. Do you, ever want to, do you ever want to retire? 
No, like Marlena Dietrich famously said, I just want to retire to bed every night, darling. Yes. Do you think that's changed in how we look at, at work? Because, you know, back in the day, well, I was sort, sort of brought up, you know, you go to school, you go to university, you get yourself a corporate job um, and, you know, and you retire with a pension and, and sort of put your feet up for the rest of it. I don't know what you do when you retire. And I look at that now and think, well, I, I, I don't want to retire. What does that mean? I love my, I love my work. Well, I think, you know, 50 is the new 40, isn't it? And I, I, I can't imagine what I would do. In fact, I have really struggled in lockdown to fill my weekends because I'm used to being really busy. I'm very sociable. I like being out and about all the time. So I have no hobbies as such, you know. And all these people making sourdough bread and lemon drizzle cake. I mean, I just... <laughs> stick pins in my eyes you know and then my sister sent my sister who I love dearly sent me a jigsaw and he said what why do you think I would ever want to do a jigsaw I mean I just it's so unrewarding for me I, I think it's great other people get joy out of this I'm just not that person what do you I mean you I mean you know you're a successful driven ambitious woman um man or woman actually anybody that is in that entrepreneurial side you, you do need to relax at some point or there will be very stressful days. Is there anything that you turn to to sort of relax or de-stress or when you know things are getting a little bit or you, you're getting on top of you, you know, overwhelmed? Is there any, any sort of thing that, that you turn to? I mean, normally I love holidays and I'll have at least 10 to 12 weeks holiday a year. I know this year I suppose we're going to Sydney, Hong Kong, Abu Dhabi, um, Italy, Spain, everything cancelled, of course. Um, and I'm very lucky that I've been able to do that over the years. And I, I, I wrote one blog about, you know, being grateful for things. And I, I added up and I've been to 49 different countries. And wow. I'm very fortunate to have done that. So I love travel. Um, and I like to meet interesting people in those places. Um, but I guess, like most girls, you know, I like to be pampered. No, normally have my nails done every week, have a massage, have my nails done. <laughs> Don't look at my nails. Oh, no, I don't know. It's terrible. You can't have, I mean, I literally got mine done. I rushed down to the beautician. I said, you have to do mine tonight. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, so I, I find that very relaxing. But usually when I'm there, I'm usually reading board papers or and my hairdresser's got me a special table because I've been going there 20 years. And so when I go, I say, the table's in the corner, Joe. But... Um, yeah, that's what I do anyway. What do you put your, um, if you look at your, your drive, what do you think you owe that to? Have you, have you sort of self-reflected on that? Because look, everyone wants that drive, I think, and ambition to be successful, however you deem success, and everyone's got their own um, definition of success, but there's clearly an energy within that. I, I, can, I, I know we're on Zoom, but I can feel the energy popping through the screen as well. Um, what do you think you owe your determination and drive to? Uh, well, um, I lost my mother when I was 16. Um, and then um, my father's business was affected by what was called the three-day week when the miners' strike were on. And we went from being a reasonable, affluent upper middle class family to having nothing. Um, my sister was at boarding school, first I came, come out. My mum had died, my dad's business had gone bust. We had to sell everything. 
Um, I was at university now in those days, you've got um, a, a grant yes. when my father had to eventually had to uh, sell the house. Um, uh, but um, I had to get a job because I had no money and he couldn't give me any money. Um, and so I thought I'm never, ever, ever going to be in this position again. And when my mum had been ill for years and I was at 16 and I was doing my, uh, what were O-levels then? And I, I, was just, I didn't want to, I wasn't interested in it. Uh, and then I'm very fortunate um, because I only went to a, you know, a technical college. I've not come from a blue chip background, though my sister went to boarding school, I didn't. And I met this fantastic, inspirational guy who was an ex-barrister. And he just said, Joe, you know, you can do this. Just turn yourself around. You've got the brains and the skills to do it. You've been through a traumatic situation. Use that to give you strength. And it did. Wow. And I just, I think it's, it's never enough. And it's not about the money, but I never, ever want to be in the position that my father was and we lost everything I never ever want to be there if you look back on that I mean an awful situation um, losing your mum so early um, and what your father must have gone through and you went through as a family but do you look back and, and, and think I mean in some way it sort of benefited where you've come to today at this point in your life um, it, it's really strange because it, it's made me madly driven um, but my sister, who's two years younger than me, I mean, we couldn't be more opposite. She trained as a um, hairdresser. Now she runs a beautiful little antique business and furniture restoration. And she's the one that makes lemon drizzle cakes <laughs> and fat rascals and sends me jigsaws. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, you say nature or nurture. I, I think I'm naturally very driven, but it, I think that's where it comes from. But it can't just be the circumstances, otherwise my sister, I guess, would behave in the same way. Yeah, it affects everyone slightly differently. Um, you mentioned um, going back to the last lockdown, um, first lock, and you wrote a book. In the uh, first one. In the first one. Um, tell me a little bit more about that book. Firstly, where can people get that book? Because it sounds like a great book right now to get a hold of. It's available on Amazon. Amazon, there you go. Plug out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all my books are on Amazon. Um, um, I mean, we've been very fortunate because my business has been busy because I, when this happened, like everybody think, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Because I employ staff and it, it's not just the staff you employ, it's their families who are dependent on the income and, and so on. And I thought, oh, oh gosh, it's all going to go away. I sit on all these boards as chair, they won't want me. Um, how am I going to even go to board meetings? Um, you know, I speak at all these events. How is that going to How is that going to work? Because of course I've never done anything virtually, um, as most of us hadn't. Um, but I've been absolutely staggering. This week um, I ran an event in Kuala Lumpur, which I would have loved to have gone to personally. But it was for some. Well, they were all chairmen or CEOs of public listed companies uh, in Malaysia. And it was such a privilege for me to do something like that. Because originally it was planned that I'd go, and that's actually the fourth one I've done for them. We're originally going to go, all the excitement of going there. And yes, my, yeah. my daughter lives in Hong Kong. I'm thinking we can meet there. And then I thought, oh, this isn't going to happen. Anyway, it's happened and they love it and, it and it worked fine. So to my amazement, I've been as busy as, as ever. 
what would you say if there was anybody that was looking to set up business right now? Is it the right, I mean, is it the right time? Um, well, of course, some amazing businesses came out of the depression. So, you know, out of adversity comes a lot of success. Mm. I would say, you know, and you've probably heard this before, most people regret the things they don't do rather than the things they do do. And when I set up my first business, I was uh, 28, 29. Um, and it's almost at that age, you think, of course, you know everything and you're very mature. But of course, it really wouldn't have mattered if it had all gone wrong because I could have got another job. I appreciate now it might be more of a challenge to start a new business. But if you're so unhappy and you don't give it a go or you're not doing anything else, what have you got to lose? And, and, and I started my first business. I spoke to my uh, bank manager who I'd known for a while and I got um, a £10,000 overdraft and then I bought a little second-hand car. And of course, we didn't have mobile phones or anything. You didn't have computers or anything. And then I didn't get a, a wage. It's like, oh my God, oh my God. But it makes you want to survive because if you don't bring any money in, <laughs> you can't pay the mortgage. Yeah, completely. What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. Nothing, absolutely nothing. No, no, I, I, I completely agree. But I think there are a lot of people that sit there in, in, in sort of fear uh, or, or they're still in their comfort zone. They, they like the idea of it, but they sort of, they don't put that foot forward. I love quotes, and I can't remember who said this, but there's a wonderful quote that there is nothing to fear except fear itself. So if you don't try, you never will. Um, and I never wanted to be one of these that coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, I just had to go. And I've had loads of disasters, you know, loads. <laughs> well, I think that that's what makes us as well, right? You can't that's the best way to learn. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to yeah. have those things that don't quite succeed to learn from, from what you wouldn't do again. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I mean, loads of stuff have gone wrong. There's been many, many, many times when I haven't been able to pay myself a salary for months. Um, Is there anything you do now to sort of mitigate against the risks? Um, if you were, well, well, say you were starting a new business or somebody was wanting to start a business, would you say, okay, the first thing you should really think about is, is, is this before you get going. <laughs> I think you've got to just ride the waves, I think. Somebody asked me on this event in Kuala Lumpur, we were talking about how to be a world-class non-exec, and he said, Joe, can you tell me how to expect the unexpected? I went, well, you know, my tarot cards aren't working at the moment, and the, um, <laughs> the crystal ball's broken. And, and I think you've just... <laughs> You've just got to ride it, haven't you? And, and all the things that people say is like, don't worry about the small stuff. It's easy to say, but when you're in the middle of it, it's very difficult. So I have a coping mechanism, which is a bit weird, in that I write down everything I'm worried about in my little book. I have this little book here that says, history will be kind to me because I intend to write it myself. Yeah. And whenever I'm worried about something, I write it in the book and put a date on it and then days, months, years later, I'll look back and I think, why the hell was I worried about that? You know, it's, it's just irrelevant or it's gone or it's sorted or it's nothing. And in a way, that's, it's cathartic writing it down. But it's also, it's very, very interesting when you read back and you think, God, and I didn't sleep about that. You know, and Our mind makes the problem 10 times worse and it usually takes something that isn't a problem, right? And... And envisages this whole scenario that never happened. Yes. 
And I think the other thing is to have somebody that you can talk to and be yourself. You know, there's a lot of people find it very difficult to be themselves. And as Oscar Wilde said, you may as well be because everybody else is taken. I'm, I'm very keen on authenticity, but sometimes in my job, I have to be the big brave bear. <laughs> and, you know, I might not feel like that. So I have a coach and a therapist and a fantastic non-exec director um, and a brilliant MD, you know, who I can be myself with. And you need that. I think that's, that's absolutely fundamental to have a good set of people around you. Um, and, and actually just taking that further in, into your own business. I mean, you, you, you sit on a number of boards as a, as a, as a non-exec uh, director. Are there particular qualities that one should look for um, in a, in a non-exec or somebody on their board? Um, well, I think it's a symbiotic relationship. So it's what you look like looking for in each other. I mean, one of my tests is, could I bear to spend a long haul flight in cattle class with the CEO? <laughs> and that's particularly, that's particularly important because often I'm, I'm, I'm often going in this chair and that's so it's a very close relationship. So it goes way beyond respect. And to me, that is a given. I've got to like this person. They're not going to be my best friend. But we've got to be able to have a laugh and a joke. And I think for a Ned, if you haven't got a sense of humour, you won't survive. Also have to have huge resilience. Mm. And I mean, through this pandemic, some of the boys I work with have had very, very difficult times indeed. And I've had to be the very strong one for the CEO and the rest of the board. And we've, you know, one of the boards I work with, one of the directors committed suicide because he just couldn't cope with it. So those are terrible yeah. you know, things you never ever want to ha go through or, or happen again. Um, so I think you need a lot of personal strength. I also think that if your values don't align with the values of the company you're working for, it will never work. You know, you've got to be of the same mindset. You don't have to agree on everything, mm. but my values are be kind, work hard, stay positive, have fun. And they are absolutely the principles that I work with. I don't expect the company to have identical, but I'm just not going to work for a company that, you know, is a, uh, well, it's, it's, it's just, they don't know how to have a laugh or, um, or, you know, it's, they don't care about their staff or their, or their um, customers you know it's all about the money it's never been about the money it cannot be about the money and I, and I don't believe in being cruel and, and people think kindness is a weakness it's not it's a strength if it's used properly because it's unkind not to tell people the truth as long as you tell it in a nice way and so and I've never deliberately hurt anybody I'm sure I have over the years but I've never done it intentionally because I know what it's like to have it done to me. So I think those are my important things. And I think, Joe, those, I mean, those words, what you've just said, I think now more than ever, I mean, I'm hoping people have had a lot of time to, to think about themselves, their lives, the global reflect. pandemic, reflect. Um, and I think that's one thing that certainly came out of the first lockdown, this, this feeling of community and kindness. I'm not quite sure oh, what yeah. with it now, but... You know, I yeah. think people are re-evaluating, you know, it isn't just about money. 
you know, it is about all the other things. And I mean, to, to me, one thing that's, that's clear, I'm very much a people person and, and connection is so important and even more so now because, because I miss it. And I, and I guess yeah. in that sense of connection and me you know, what, what this has done for people's mental health um, because of all sorts of different things it's affected is, um, it, it is really strong. So I think that those words be kinder, yeah, sort of really come to the heart of things right now. I think also to admit your vulnerabilities, you know, and the first lockdown, I did really well. I was very positive, very upbeat. Second, I was, I didn't realize it, but I must have been posting things that signified I was not my normal self. And I have a great community of people who, well, I wrote a post to say that, you know, one of the things that's come out of this is I didn't realize that acquaintances actually were friends and that they really liked me because I had so many wonderful messages from people. And, but this lockdown, I found very difficult indeed, like a lot of people. And I'm a really, really strong person, but like you, I'm, I'm really social and I miss that interaction with people. Hence, I've got a therapist, so I need to tell her. I need to cry. No, I, I, no, I, I get it. And like you say, there's, um, I think, everyone has had different effects through these lockdowns. I, I personally, um, like you, the first lockdown, well, it wasn't great for me. I actually split up in a relationship. But, there you oh, go. But, but actually, it was, he moved in in lockdown. It was quite an easy way to figure out if it was going Oh, to really? <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, actually, it, get after that and getting over that, it, it was fine. And it's more this lockdown. Uh, and particularly over Christmas, where I had to change plans because of what, what happened. Um, yes, but it's of course. Because you went from tier two to tier four overnight. Yeah. yeah. And I was due to go, my, my, my folks are up in Newcastle. I'm, I'm from Newcastle, so and I haven't seen oh. them over a year. So I had to cancel all my plans, which was... Awful. Anyway, we've all, got, we've all got our story. No, but that, I don't know, Christmas is... I mean, I, I have no recognised religion, but it is a special family time, isn't it? And I think that, that's been the hardest of all this. Joe, I do want to get onto something that is very, um, uh, to my heart. I interview a lot of veterans on my show, and I know you have set up um, uh, onboarding officers, and I'd like to hear more about that, because I think there'd be a lot of people out there that would be interested in this. Um, yes, and... Um, and this is what uh, we might call a passion project. Um, so, you know, as if I'm not busy enough, she's what my team say to me. Um, I remember this is two years ago um, and I was on holiday in Seville. And you know, I, can, I can only lay on a beach or you know, sit around a pool for so long. I have to do something. And so I thought, you know, we talk about diversity in boardrooms and we talk about gender, age, ethnicity and all this sort of stuff. But what is missing in boardrooms is diversity of thought. And it doesn't matter whether that person is black, white, male or female, able-bodied or not, it's a different way of thinking. And um, I knew personally that boards were being challenged because with respect to many of them, and not all, but many of them are pale male and you know the other word. <laughs> so, um, how can we how can we change this? Um, my son is an intelligence officer, and I've met some wonderful people through his career, um, but very senior people as well as his peers. And I realised um, from conversations with them that 
when they transition into civilian life, they can become lost souls because they've had this very structured career, very illustrious career in many circumstances, dealt with things that make anything that you or I have done, done look absolutely ludicrous in terms of a, a concern. Uh, and I thought, what we need to do is we need to find a bridge between that community of the police, uh, sorry, of the uh, military. I say police because I'm going to move into that area next. We're going to do blue lights, onboarding blue lights next. Uh, but anyway, just on this, first of all. Um, so um, um, the officers who've got all these fantastic skills, I want to help them, provide them with a translation guide to help them move into boardrooms. Now, of course, they immediately say, but Joe, we've got no boardroom experience. I say, well, have you ever sat in a command room? Well, of course, all the time. Same thing. Okay. Have you dealt with crisis? Of course you have. All the time. You know, can you communicate across all sectors? Well, of course I can. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're already starting to get the skills. But there are some things that are missing. So, you probably never read a balance sheet or had to deal with the cash flow. You probably never had to write a marketing strategy or even understand anything to do with social media. You probably don't understand about governance processes, okay? So let's put together a program that we call our insight program that delivers those specific skill gaps. And then let's surround you with a fantastic community. So I've put together what I call superneds who are serial non-exec directors from the commercial world, ambassadors, who are ex-military, who have become non-exec directors. And then some fantastic partners, including DAC Beechcroft, who are um, a, a big law firm. In fact, they have an office up in Newcastle. Um, and they have a non-exec uh, club. And they're also very keen on military. Many of their senior staff are, are military people. And uh, their new role, that's N-U-R-O-E-L, which is a massively interesting disruptor platform for headhunting of NEDs only. And it's a completely different way of headhunting because first of all, it's an invite only platform, but they automatically get invited when they've joined our community and they push jobs out. So instead of it all being jobs for the boys, you apply for these jobs and you have to make yourself attractive and interesting. And then we're also working with the Business Growth Fund and Birmingham University, who have got dozens and dozens of spin-out companies that are looking to populate their boards with nominee directors for their funds. Um, and they join this community. So when they've been through the Insight Programme, they've got access to all this. Oh, they can come and sit in and watch boardroom observations from our superneds and you know, say what's going on in these boards. Um, and, and then they just help each other. So I, I think I was mentioning just before this, I've just run a webinar for the Officers Association where we had 120 uh, officers on. Some are veterans, some are um, looking to transition soon. And we had um, one of the presenters that was on with me was actually one of my first alumni speakers who is uh, currently a serving wing, RAF Wing Commander. Um, and he has got a net position. Uh, now, it's, it's on an academy school, so it's not paid. But as a result of that, that is positioning him brilliantly when he does come out because he's got board experience. And he was telling us all that because of his skill set, they were far in advance of dealing with the first lockdown. So they've got everything in place. They saw it coming. 
So they were just able to switch everything on. And that is his special skill. That's amazing. I mean, the, what's your view? I mean, the, the government doesn't do a lot, does it, in terms of when these, when the, when they, when basically veteran military leave services and go on to make that transition into civilian life. Do you think there's a big gap there? I mean, clearly you're, you're filling it with in terms of the officers on this side. Um, if the government does anything or, or should do anything, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the view of the military in the UK is based on what people watch on television. They're not revered in the same way as they are in the US. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely not, not that anybody reveres anything in the US at the moment, but you know, <laughs> when, my, when my son went traveling there, you know, one holiday that he'd had, and he just had to show his military oh, card, and, and it, you know, oh, I do anything. You, you're, you're very well respected in, in the States. Military and, and ex-military are very well respected. Not here. Not here. Not here. No. Not here at all. So I just want to be part of that bridge. And I was just saying on this webinar, you know, I, I can't give you the jobs, but I can give you all the equipment, the toolkit to put you in the best possible place. And, and Phil, the guy that was um, um, the RAF wing commander, had said, because uh, he's still serving, he'd applied for a job in um, oh, Medical Health England uh, and they'd had 400 applications. He didn't get the job, but he got down to the last three and he was trying to explain to the other people on the webinar that was because of what I've been doing now in a not-for-profit business. And if I'd just sent my CV off up an RAF wing commander, you think I'd have got an interview? No, because, because they're not—they're not looking through the skill set, are they? It's not—they're not translating that CV from military into yeah. means in civilian life, as as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, so we, one of the exercises we do on this five days is we look at their CVs and pick. First of all, we de-jargonize it, and then we put. So this is what you've done here. How would that translate into a civilian activity? How can we take that and sort of make it, oh gosh, that sounds, yeah, yeah, they could do that in my business. You know, things like risk management, gosh, yeah, top of the agenda now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and how many, you can just think of it, can't you? I mean, it's, it's, it's what, what a lot of the officers do, it's risk management. Of course, what they, it's, it's in their DNA. Yeah, absolutely. They live and breathe it. Where can people find out more about this service and more about you, Joe? Uh, well, if you if you just uh, type in onboarding officers into Google, we've got a whole website, and um, and they'll see the details of this year's cohorts. Uh, this is for non-executive directors, but we are launching in June this year a new program for perhaps junior ranks who want a job as opposed to a portfolio career. And so we've um, we've written a new program so for executives, uh, but that won't launch until June. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's a few viewers here, as I say, that might be interested in, in, in both of those, those programs um, and talk more about that and, and see how, how, how we can help. Joe, we've come nearly to the end of this interview, but I do want to ask you, it's my, my sort of standard last question. Um, and that is, if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would that message be? Gosh, um, I think um, I think it's got to be just have a go, just do it. 
um, it really has to be that. There's lots of things I haven't done and I truly regret those more than the things that I've done that have gone wrong. So just have a go. And also, I think, and I don't know if it's just a female position, but you cannot have everything. And this thing about work-life balance, you've got to love your job. Mm. Because work and your job and life are all inextricably linked. Yes. And so when people talk about it, it really annoys me. It's, it is, isn't, you're living and working, it's all one thing. So except you can't have everything. I think those would be the things. So thank you so much for being guest on my show. I've loved having you on here. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.